0: Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in to season two of the More Jody podcast. I'm the girl who says what everyone is thinking, unapologetically myself all the time. Trust me, I was born this way and it really can't be stopped. This season, I'm sharing powerful conversations and we go deep right off the hop. Sometimes I'm even thrown off by it. Nothing is off the table. The goal of this podcast is that you will laugh, cry, and realize that you're not alone in your struggles, your challenges, your hopes, your dreams. But I have a warning for you. These conversations will make you want to do more, dig deeper, get honest and curious with yourself, and live braver, bolder lives. Thanks for coming along for the ride. You guys, today I have Jeremy Allen on the podcast. First of all, the first male, to grace the face of the Mordody podcast. And he is a grief educator. He owns a funeral home and he does all the things at the funeral home, even the makeup, which you'll find out in episode two. Um, he is here to educate us on grief and the importance of embracing tough conversations with all of our own raw and real imperfection. You guys, it's so freeing. This conversation helps you see that we're just, humans doing our best and that's what we need to just keep doing and being the bravest we can be um, to further all of our relationships and help those that we love through grief and help ourselves through grief. Um, He's a father of three. He has a wonderful wife, Bailey Allen, who was on the podcast here recently and his goal with Death Ed is to be able to show all of us and our children that it's possible to remove the fear from grief and loss without eliminating emotion and he's unstoppable. He's going to change the world, and I'm so excited and honored to have him on the podcast today. I will let you know, this is a two-part series. There was no natural way to break up this episode. Jeremy and I could talk for days, so it is abruptly cut off, and you'll just have to wait for the rest of the good stuff next week, and I hope you enjoy it. I know you will. Jeremy Allen Jeremy Allen, the first man to ever grace the More Jody podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm so good. I'm excited to be here. Do you feel super
0: famous? Like to be the first Uh, man that I trust in this space? Yeah,
1: I think it's an incredibly huge deal. Uh, from From a lens or from a perspective of, I just have such an incredible amount of respect and and gratitude. And I learned so much uh, from working in environments with, with women. And so to have the opportunity, hopefully to contribute back uh, to a space that uh, so clearly is safe and uplifts women, I'm just happy to be here.
0: Well, I'm thrilled to have you. And first of all, changing the death care game is one of your, so one of your slogans? It's on your coffee mug,
1: (laughs) right? it, It is.
0: Yeah it's one of your slogans. And I was like so, writing down my intro for you and I'm like, you're making grief great again. And then I was like, yeah. <laughs> maybe not, maybe not again, maybe let's, for the first time. Well, yeah. Have,
1: let's not put it in white letters on a red hat and, yeah. and make it Trumpy. Uh, but yeah, you know, like would love to definitely elaborate on like, you know, I've been in funeral service for the better part of my adult life. Like basic, I've been, I'm 36 and I've been doing it for over 16 years. So really it's as an adult, it's the only life I've really known. And like, definitely have just been the guy that over those 16 years is like the drunk one on Thursday nights talking about how we're going to change the face of funeral (laughs) service, you know, like, and like, legit like that is just like my Thursday night thing conventions is just like we're just going to get a little wasted and we're just going to talk about how much opportunity we have to change the wisp world of grief that we're working in
0: I think I think it's so cool and it's such a, a niche that like no one's I love anytime someone wants to have conversations that other people don't want to engage in like mm-hmm. that and and you're you're encouraging us all to you know look inside ourselves and think differently and i'm so fired up about that because i think we do view most things with a very finite window you know we th- we think more mm-hmm. in mortal terms and um and then when you see people who are you know motivated by fear and how you can motivate people by fear well if you can terrify them of dying right or of even having the conversation around grief and stuff like that mm-hmm. i think you're just opening such an important dialogue and so i'm really excited to have you on here fun facts we have the same birthday which is yeah
1: pretty that exciting. is it is kind of neat you know like I May know. six is when legends were born, you right? Know, just, yeah.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. May 6 is when legends were born, but it was so funny because, um, now I'll say I had your wife on a few weeks ago and I adore yeah. her. And as her and I chat, it's like, you and I are like the same. Like we're very, very <laughs> similar, which is super funny. Everything I would ask her, she's like, "Yeah, that's my husband. He's kind of like that." So we definitely have a lot of similarities, which is fun. Um, but yeah, you're you're showing us that someone doesn't need to be afraid to talk about grief, and we can, and we should, and you're normalizing it and drawing drawing attention to the importance of the conversation. And I just, I just want to say thank you. But my first question was. So tell us a little bit about Jer, his work, his life, and what makes such a fun, vibrant guy pick funerals as a career.
1: Yeah, I, so it's not a, it's, it's not a fairy tale. Like it wasn't like I I didn't grow up my whole life thinking this is what I was going to do. And and in fairness to that, I think it would be weird if kids thought they were going to be a funeral director when they grew up. Um, we're trying to change the narrative of that. Like, you know, right. through, you know, through making it, you know, through hard conversations and through showing them you know the value of what it looks like you know to be a funeral director within the funeral profession yeah I would love it to become a much more plausible Mm -hmm. um career choice for young people right I think there's so much that it has to offer Um, but yeah so for me getting into it really what it came down to was uh when I was 18 years old I was kind of set to graduate high school um i uh, i i got caught cheating on my social 30 diploma oh, almost got expelled yeah my dad was the vice principal of the school that i was going to so it was like there was some shit attached to that really oh, poor decision that i had super made super funny and uh and ended up so like you know I happen to have a good skill set of being able to write not so much with social but but my English is good and, yeah. and so I wrote, wrote some letters of apology and, and, and took accountability for these poor choices I'd made and, and then was put in this position of being able to rewrite my test and, and graduate and and the reason I elaborate on that is when I rewrote the test I had to do it you know in, in Edmonton which is a few hours away from where I grew yeah. up and after I wrote we were driving home and my parents were like hey, there's, um, your aunt works for a funeral home in Calgary and and they're looking for help. What do you think about maybe trying that out? And I was like, that sounds awful. Like, (laughs) like, no, I don't want to do that. You know, I'm like, and they're like, oh, well, we're actually like, like, we're going to Calgary. We think you need a change and you're going to go take this interview. And so like, okay. So like, (laughs) yeah, swung, swung by the house, grabbed my, you know, my grad suit and headed down to Calgary and like ended up uh you know doing this interview with this guy whose name is Ernie and and like the funeral home there is like considerably different than the funeral that that I own and operate they were doing around 3,500 funerals a year so like it's quite a big yeah and like I remember sitting down with this guy and it was like I had a terrible driving record you know I did not have a, a real sweet uh high school diploma or whatever like the the sheet of you know showing all my marks like I mean I was coming in with some reasonably flawed characteristics into what was traditionally like and and still continues to be a very professional environment yes Yes. and so this Ernie like just was such an intimidating guy like he owned the funeral home and and he did my entry uh like my entry interview anyway ended up getting this job probably not because he wanted to give it to yeah. me probably because my aunt asked for a favor uh and uh, and like and kind of fell in love like so really enjoyed the day-to-day yeah. work and again remembering like I was like legit like just 18 years old uh and like you know now part of some really you know intense environments um but what and not the words I would have had when I was 18 but the words that I hold now is like just recognizing that like i'm somebody that is extremely emotionally intelligent i'm empathetic mm-hmm. I, you know like i'm able to like have high levels of compassion and 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 but still be very purpose-driven in the midst of it right so that's mm-hmm. what made this such a such a great fit um but then did it for about a year and got homesick is really what it came to and, and right. moved back moved back home moved back to wainwright um and then got to a place where uh Kind of did t- the typical like rural Alberta stuff. Tried the oil field, uh, tried McEwen. Like went back to university to take a bachelor of commerce, and and again nothing. Just really was a good fit, and and ended up actually having an an accident in the oil field, which put me in a cast for six months. And and Whoa. like I was yeah. So it was it was the year that I would have signed up for school. So it had been in two thousand and five. I was working out by Grand Prairie, which is a city here in Alberta, and uh had a. 1300 pound piece of pipe fall off the rack and oh my gosh kind of of crushed me like I got pinned underneath of it and had to get a surgery and broke my leg pretty badly and and uh, and so I feel like every time I ended up in a road trip with my parents from the age of 18 to 22 it led to like what are you going to (laughs) do for the rest of your life right so because my parents like you know thankfully they came to Grand Prairie they you know like they made sure I was okay we got through the surgery did all the stuff it's funny started you know started our seven hour drive home and it was like less than an hour. And it's like, so <laughs> what are you going to do for the rest of your life? And I was like, well, okay, well, like the oil field is clearly not for me. I'm not much of a laborer that, oh. that was, you know, quite obvious. And then, you know, going to school was never my thing. And I was like, the only other thing I really felt like I was good at was um, and enjoyed doing was when I worked at the funeral home. So maybe I can give that another try. And so, yeah, so re-entered funeral service you know, in 2005, and, and have been okay. doing it ever since. And yeah, so just, and it's, it's neat, you know, and I think it's a strange concept for people, but through the experience of walking alongside families during, mm-hmm. you know, some of the most obvious and intense types of loss, uh, it just has made me fall in love with grief. I think grief is such an incredible emotion mm-hmm. and, and has the opportunity to be such a meaningful experience if we can learn how to create space for it to exist.
0: Well I think what makes me kind of sad is I did like a, a Bible study or something last year and it was talking about even biblically like the process of grief and how long it is and now here Mm -hmm. we're like okay and here now like with covid you don't even get a funeral for a lot of people right Right. and like how important and how long that process of grieving is and how you know past generations and stuff would take some really serious time and now it's like okay Mm -hmm. you know like you they're they're dead they're gone now you you need to just act like you can move on and you really can't you know And I find that really yeah. hard. I find that really hard. I was yeah. gonna say though, super funny, when you say no one like we always say I'm an insurance and we always say no one falls into insurance either. It's definitely not quite yeah. the same as you know, the funeral environment. But I I actually thought about a career in funerals myself. Yep. My youth pastor did like a day in the life and we started at like the baby ward and we went all the way through and we spent a ton of time like a few weeks ago or a month ago, when you put up all your tools for embalming, I was like, those are the eye clips. That's like, I knew all of the stuff to like keep your eyelids closed. And I actually find it super, super fascinating. So when you say that, I'm like, I actually thought about a career in funerals. And so it's so funny when you, when you say that now, but. Like- and
1: like, I, I'm so like, I love, I, I love these conversations, these opportunities. So like you're talking about having these conversations with your youth pastor. And I remember when I was 17, you know, in the initial, which first of all, I think it's ridiculous that we ask kids to figure out what they're going to do for the rest of their I life agree. when they're 17, um, you know, but moving more into the conversation when I was 17, it was like, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? And, and like, when mine got charted out. It was like I was either going to become a teacher or I was going to right. become a youth pastor, you know. And what's Oh, really? really yeah. So, like, I grew up in a, in a, you know, a church and, and faith-based setting. And, and um, I mean, I, you may not know that by the way that I'm going to talk throughout this podcast. But that was the reality of the decision. I said, like, it's funny what I do my public speak, I say, like, I talk about this. And I said, what's really unique about it is you know, I didn't enjoy school. So becoming a teacher didn't make sense. Right, and I drink and swear too much to ever be a youth pastor. So that wasn't a viable outcome either. <laughs> but then what was really neat is now I'm in this space of like, you know, of educating people, um, you know, so oh, outside yeah. of my roles as a funeral director and, and a uh, funeral director in embalming, I'm a grief and loss educator and, you know, a huge part of who I educate or, or where my knowledge is most valuable is in settings of, of children and youth. And so it's oh, just like, it's it. yeah it's just like this, like really amazing hybrid environment that I landed in and, and yeah, it's just, so it's a lot of fun.
0: I always say you end up, if you keep like listening, you end up where you're meant to be because yeah. I, I wanted to be a journalist and then I became an yeah. insurance broker and like, I didn't even realize When I started wanting to podcast that that was like going and I have an English degree in education, I was going to be a teacher and then I Mm -hmm. a bunch of four people got hit in a by logging truck of my friends and died and I was like that we were 21 and I was like that's it I'm going to Europe, I'm quitting school for a little bit, and I was so crushed and so it's funny, like that that. Like segue in my career and my education ended up taking me to insurance. And then you're like 15 years later, I'm back here now wanting to share people's stories, wanting to, mm-hmm. you know, like, so it's just funny how I feel like you end up where you're really meant to be. Right. And right. I think that's, I'm with you. I think that's, super yeah, like, powerful. And again,
1: like, regardless of like belief systems, it's just, um, it's, I think there's a higher power. You know, I, I, I call mine God. You know, I, I'm uninvested in what other people's higher power is. Um, you know, and, and I think it's just really neat that again, exactly what you said, you end up landing in this mm-hmm. space that, you know, that you actively have to work towards, but yeah. if you do that, you'll, know, you'll end up where you're supposed to be. So,
0: well, I, I do, I think, um, I'm even going to jump a little bit ahead here, but when I said that I lost those friends at 21, mm-hmm. they were on the way home from Camp Caroline and they were, um, like just my friend's mom was driving. Like you always think kids mm-hmm. are going to crash, right? Not grownups mm-hmm. or whatever. And, We don't know if she fell asleep or what happened, but, um, but before that, starting from when I was 12, I lost someone every year and it it was like kids. Like we, my, my best friend, you know, your, your family friends back then are like your siblings kind of right. Mm -hmm. Like when you're a kid and my, my best friend's little brother just all of a sudden got the flu and died of liver failure. And then like, mm. you know, like then a girl, one of my good friends on my ball team who lived across the street, like she has an asthma attack on a ski hill and dies. Like it was, it was like friend falls off a horse, has a brain aneurysm. It was like literally every right. year, a kid. Like you're
1: living, like living in the space of the, like less than 1%, right? Yeah. Like these oh, are not, typ- these are not typical experiences for anybody to have at any point in time in your life to have repetitive experiences yeah. of that, you know, can, I mean, of course, grief gets really complicated in that, right? Because yeah. then we start to normalize loss and death in environments that are are not typical at all. Like any of those examples are 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 not normal experiences, right? Yeah. If you have an experience like that in your lifetime, it would still put you in a very small group of people, right? And every I never
0: even thought about that as a percentage, but what it led me to feel like at first. I mean, obviously, any death is really gut wrenching, and when you're Mm -hmm. 12, you're like, I I just can't believe I'm not going to see them again. And that waking up with that hole in your Mm -hmm. body—that's what I always think of—is waking up the next day and being like, it's still real. Oh, it makes me emotional. But like, go ahead.
1: And I think what's why you know, and as as we walk through this conversation, I think you know, like kind of coming back to some of the things that you were saying earlier. The hard part was is you know, and again, like I don't want to be assuming at all of the environment that you grew up in, but you know looking at my environment and, and a lot of my friends, like like we did grow up in spaces that the adults in our life were not well versed in talking about emotion. So it's very mm-hmm. unlikely that you know through those experiences, enough adults or enough people of authority, we're modeling behavior that showed you how to have the conversation that showed you how to talk about that great big hole in your stomach. And that, that piece of your heart that, you know, you feel like is never going to come back and, and to start that conversation. And and that's what makes it so scary for kids is because they've, they've got all of this emotion and they feel, you know, the entirety of that emotion and they have no tools and they do not have the words or the experience to be able to talk about it. And that's where it's like, It's why I'm so in love with this concept of, of having, you know, having conversations about grief, learning to talk about loss, because what it does, I mean, of course it does this for adults, but like, you know, when, when I started death ed, like the the driving force of it was, uh, an incredible desire to help kids through hard things. And what I've learned is that when we start these conversations, when we model that behavior for the children in our life, it doesn't remove the emotion from the experience. It removes the fear. Right. And, and I think that is the thing we can do for kids in loss is, is we can pull the fear out of it. We can say that it is incredibly difficult and incredibly sad, you know, to that your friend had an asthma attack and died on the steep hill. Yeah. Uh, but what we want to make sure that we do as a part of that conversation is, you know, um, is make sure that, uh, that at a minimum, we recognize that, it was like I remember I had this conversation with one of our doctors once when when a uh, child in our community was was killed in an accident. and he said it's you have to remember, you know, without it taking away at all from this singular experience, the odds of this happening is like taking five different sized wheels, spinning them at different speeds, and that one millisecond every hour that the light will shine through is the likelihood of those kids dying.
0: Oh, that's, I never thought of that.
1: Right. And yeah. so, and if we can, ex- and if we can say that to kids to say, it doesn't, this isn't a tool to make this less sad. We don't want you living in a space of fear of you having to worry about that happening to you. Or of you having to worry about that happening to your siblings, to your parents, to these other really people that, that are important to you in your life. And it's not to say that bad things can't happen to them, but we do yeah. want to conceptualize, you know, that that these are, are not typical experiences, right? Yeah. And, and so it's just, it's, you know, and, and like, I think it's the way that I have it on my website is like, how do we normalize difficult conversation without dehumanizing the experience, right? That we do not want to dehumanize the, the singular event, which is that does not make losing that friend, losing that, that, um, that sibling or that parent or, or any of these important people, any less important, Right. What we want to do is we want to normalize that we are going to learn how to talk about these things together, you know, and, and by showing them how to do that. And again, by modeling that behavior, because if the behavior I model is it's okay, you'll, you'll get over this. Yeah. You know, like the generational impact of that is, is incredibly significant. Right.
0: And I think so many people are worried about the preoccupation is getting it wrong.
1: Right. Right.
0: Right, like, I, yeah. I
1: should have asked you at the beginning of this, is like, is there a colorful language disclaimer? Like, is there a, like a-, a You <laughs> I, just I be, be Jeremy. Okay. You just be, I'll so put like, a
0: warning up at the beginning. You just say whatever okay, you want to say. You're
1: going to need to. Yeah, okay, good. Um, I think parents, as parents, like we have three kids of our own. Um, I think we're constantly afraid of fucking up.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think, especially when we enter into extremely difficult or emotional environments, we're always afraid of saying the wrong thing. And to me, the only time you get it wrong is when you don't say anything
0: wrong. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Because what
1: kids will do is when you enter with authenticity and when you lead with vulnerability, they'll allow you to get it wrong when they see that you're trying. Yeah. yeah. Right? And And they'll let you find your footing. They'll let you find your words and they'll let you show them what does it look like to try and have a conversation like this when nobody knows what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. And, and I think like for them to even see us try to figure this out in front of them is what leads to such incredible learning environments. Right. And so I just like when you're talking to your own kids, or if you're talking to other kids in your life, if you're an educator, whoever you are, the only time I think like worst case scenario is you say nothing. Because if my kids go to bed that night, or my kids go to school that day, or they go wherever, Then what we leave them with is we leave them with their imagination. Yeah. And their imaginations are, are, are going to be flawed as a result of social media, as a result of, of watching Netflix, as a result of, you know, like they're going to start pulling information from spaces that are likely not taking realistic approaches to what happens when somebody dies or what happens when, you know, somebody gets divorced or when something, right? Like, it's just like, so then they start then they create the narrative of the story versus us actually being able to give them good, solid information to start the conversation off of.
0: Well, and I know this is a conversation more about grief, but it makes me think how, um, how many people don't want to talk to their kids about sex, about all sorts of things. And it's either around their own shame that stops them. Mm, Right. right. Or I taught my kids last week where baby comes from. And when I told my sister after, (laughs) I think she was like, but I was like, it's (laughs) going to, what I'm going to tell you is about to blow your mind. And it all started, that's literally what I said, but it all started with what does the F word mean? And I was like, right. "Oh well, it's a really rude word for sex. Do you know what sex is?" And they're eight and ten, and they're like,
1: yeah. "No,
0: we don't know what sex is." And I've been—I want to be the one. Like, I—I I think kids need brave grown-ups. And I've been right. like, "I'll tell you," but I kept saying to my ten-year-old, "I want to tell you where babies come from." He's like, "I don't want to know," but then he wanted to know what the F word meant, and he didn't know where it was going to lead. So then I said, <laughs> "But I want them to hear from a real source." Right. Right? Like I want them to hear from me. So then when when they said they wanted to know what sex meant, I was like, okay, this is going to blow your mind. And they're like, what? I said, wieners go into vaginas. And they were like, (laughs) what the youngest was like, wieners kiss vaginas. He says, and he can't (laughs) stop laughing. He can't stop laughing. And we howled and, and yeah, it wasn't, um, a professional fancy way to tell your kids, but I just was like, It's just like a puzzle. Like, and they were like, but it's
1: genuine.
0: Yeah. And yeah. the thing
1: is, is like, you know, like this is the thing about, you know, like when when we, the adults in these kids' lives, are willing to be yeah. vulnerable, right? Those are vulnerable conversations, is, is my opinion.
0: Yeah. So when
1: we, you know, and, and this is what happens every single time, you know, I use this when I do professional development, uh, like speaking engagements and things like that. You know, one of the main takeaways is when you learn to lead with excruciating vulnerability. Yeah. It creates a connection. Once yeah. we're connected, we start to build a relationship. And if I build a relationship with you, you'll actually let me teach you about the thing that we're here to talk about, totally. right? Every single time. And like that, of course, that reapplies to our own kids. Yeah. You know, because yes, we have a pre-existing relationship with them, not when it comes to talking about sex, right? Yeah. So we still have to lead with vulnerability. We still need to get connected. We still have to build trust, create relationship to get to this place of being able to teach, yeah. you know, and and you know it's by talking about wieners and vaginas sometimes, (laughs) you know, like where it's, it's, you know, it's, it's saying it in a way that we know is going to, you know, that, that they are going to be able to ingest what we're trying to talk about. Because I agree with you, the the reality of, and again, like just environments that I grew up in is, is, and it's, you know, it's, it's not at all with any hardship of the environment I grew up in. Like I, I had a lovely life growing up, you know, was uh, like much to be thankful for or grateful for all the things. But where I'm going with this is, is I grew up in environments sort where of like the only way we talked about hard things was by taking an abstinence approach. Right. right. So like sex, well, don't do that. Drinking, <laughs> just
0: don't well, do it. Don't do that.
1: Kids, kids don't do that. Drugs. Well, well, I think that's obvious. Right. And it's yeah. just like, know and and again as a parent i can recognize the lack of desire to to you know want any of my children to 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 know that they're doing drugs drinking or having sex but the reality is is what what changes about that experience for my kids if we if we purposefully and intentionally enter into conversation with them about those things right
0: totally my mom and dad talked about sex so much that I was like, "Oh my gosh, mom." Like it was like a joke when they go to their room. Yeah. I was like, and then I'd be like, "I hope you score." Like it's so weird now. <laughs> I'm like, so many of my friends are like, "You guys are so weird." But and yeah. they they still were like, "Don't do it." My mom wasn't afraid. There was no there was no mystery and darkness. There was just yeah. light. It was just And there's light. not
1: shame attached yeah. to it, right? Yeah, no. 100%. And I no. think, you know, the reality of that approach is again is just like I, I feel like we're so far off of what we were going to talk yeah. about today, but I'm so good with it. Fine, but yeah. then, you know, I, I can't tie this all back to grief, you know, because what happens is when there's, you know, when we're only telling a part of the story, when we're only mm-hmm. giving, you know, like if sex, drugs and alcohol are so bad, why are so many adults doing it? <laughs> well, <laughs> right. Like I've it's never done point. any of those. I've never done any of those three things because it feels bad right so just like and like it is impossible for me to think kids don't see through the bullshit of that oh they see it yeah yeah. we're all kids which is why you know we have we go through the the experiences we go through growing up anyways where I'm going with this is is from the grief perspective grief is our emotional behavioral response to loss not to death and I think what we need to be able to better do as adults is recognize that when we try to give a limited narrative, when we are only giving a portion of the truth, you know, to try to direct human behavior, what we are doing is we are undoubtedly going to create space, you know, for them to experience loss, right? So they are going to end up drinking too much. They're gonna end up doing drugs. They're going to end up having sex and they're not going to feel safe coming to talk to you about it because we are taught that there's shame attached to this and, and I'm not mature enough to be able to see through this to still have that conversation with you right
0: yeah
1: and what i don't ever want my kids to experience is feeling like they've lost access to me as a parent
0: right well right? And usually and- what stops you Typically, if there's something that stops you, I think, and I won't be stopped by it. And I feel like you wouldn't either, like your personality mm-hmm. would press into it. But what a lot of people I think stops them is like their their own prior shame, where I'm like, no, right. like break the silence, right? Talk about yeah. the hard things, even if you're I, embarrassed yeah. of the choices you made
1: totally. And like, I'm not smiling, you know, at all under <laughs> the uh, you know, I know people won't see this because it's a podcast, but uh, I am. I'm smiling because like, I've literally, it would be surprising to me if my kids came to me with an experience they had that I did not screw up on my own at some point in time in my life. So like, you know, and, 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 so I'm with you on that where it's just like, okay, well, I know you'll survive this. Like I did, you know, and, yeah. and, but like, yeah, let's, let's talk it out. And, and I think the thing that scares us, you know, as parents in those environments is, you know, just because you're having, um open conversation with your children and, and you're willing to, you know, talk about, talk about wieners is the, <laughs> I love it. I'm so glad that you told me about that. Um, <laughs> but the, the reality is, is just that being able to talk to them about it, being able to attach a process, being able to like, yeah. you know, recognize that abstinence isn't the only option. Um, whatever we're talking about when it, like, when I talk about abstinence, I mean like as a behavior, not just, just about sex. Um, is just that you know, in my mind, there's, that's what leads to accountability. That would like that's what that's what is going to put me in a position to say you know what, like yeah, this was this was not a good choice. It's why we tried to have this conversation with you ahead of time, you know. Yeah. And you you still put yourself in a position to do these things or decided to to move forward with this anyway recognizing you know so it doesn't remove accountability it doesn't remove consequence yeah right but what it does is like i'm going to feel much more equipped as the adult entering into that conversation because i'm going to know you didn't end up in that position as a lack of education totally or a lack of conversation right exactly and like yeah so like for me it's just that's what makes it like because you know, and I know, I know you've had the opportunity to connect with Bailey, but like, so she'll, she'll be able to verify this for you that like, I'm completely uncomfortable talking about periods, you know, Oh. but right. Like, and I've got two daughters that are, are, you know, prepubescent and, and, you know, and, and, you know, we're coming into like, like it is, it is weird for me. And, uh, and so, but and you probably don't feel weirded out
0: by many things.
1: Not really. No, but like, (laughs) but, but, but the female experience in anatomy is definitely one that, you know, proves I don't have an incredible amount of confidence in, but I'm willing to sit in the discomfort of those conversations with Bailey and with the girls, because it is for them to see that, you know what, like if at any point in time, your mom is unavailable to you, like that this is continues to be a safe place that like, I will sit in the discomfort with you and we'll learn from each other about these things. Because again, if, if at some point in time, and, and realistically, I think when at some point in time you end up doing something you wish you wouldn't have done or, or you know, feeling unsafe or, or whatever it is, I want us to have like created an environment that again, and, and I just, you know, I want to try to stay focused on, on probably why you had me on here, which was this. Oh, the space of grief and loss. But like, I think I'm so invested in that because like, I understand how I'm going to call it emotional trauma, right? When we have Mm -hmm. kids that grow up that feel like they can't talk about things that have happened in their life and then they are forced to carry that with them for the rest of their lives or until somebody, you know, creates a safe place for them to eventually talk about it. It has such huge impact on everything. Yeah. Right. And like, and like, then they lose somebody that's important to them. And then, you know, like, so then somebody does die and now I'm carrying this, this other completely different type of, of emotional trauma with me. And that is going to change the lens of how I'm able to walk through grief and loss. And if I'm now unable to enter into a place of grief, you know, with a reasonable amount of health, grief is undeniably going to be the, like when, when you lose somebody you love, or that is important to you to death will undeniably be some of the hardest things that you ever experience. Yeah. And, and the reality of that is because, it's not a singular event and it's not something like grief. It doesn't have an end. Right. Right. So even like where it's like 20, what did you say? Like 15 years later or whatever it is since, you know, these four friends of yours were killed in that accident or however many years it's been since the person fell off the horse or was in the skiing accident, you know, or all of these things. The thing is, you know, what's really unique about grief is, is even though of course, you've learned how to move forward with those, with that grief, with that loss, you know, at any point in time, we can re-enter the entirety of the emotion mm-hmm. of what it is to miss these people that we love so much. Yeah. Right. And, and so just, you know, I think bringing that back into the space of, you know, why I'm willing to, you know, to take the exit ramp and talk about having difficult conversations with our kids in these other environments, talking about sex, talking about drugs, talking about alcohol, you know, and, and whatever it is, you know, because that's going to like, that's practice for us. Yeah. parents. That's our opportunity to talk to them about things that are far easier to control than yeah. above yeah than when somebody dies yeah or when you know or when they end up getting out of an unhealthy relationship or you know like yeah. when we get into these very um, complicated conversations we all have had the practice of knowing how to talk to our kids about hard things yeah. right so like yeah I think it, again like it, it I think is as as Funny as it sounds, I I think it's, it's, they're completely connected to one another that, you know, if you want to be able to, to have conversation with your kids about when they walk through the hardest things, Mm -hmm. engage with them in the things that, you know, that you have the choice to be a part of, right?
0: Well, and the more discomfort you feel, the more important the conversation
1: Oh, hundred percent. Right. Like,
0: I totally agree. And I feel like you should invite me over for a family zoom call to talk about periods (laughs) because I had a grade four teacher who was like, you're going to become a woman. And like, as much as my dad and my brother didn't want to know, I like came down the stairs and I was like, guys, I am a lady. I was so, (laughs) I still get excited to get my period. I know it's super weird, but to me, it means I'm healthy. I'm alive. Like, it's so funny. Right. He changed that mindset for me. And like all my girlfriends think it's ridiculous, but I'm like, Mrs. Ryarchuk, may she rest in peace because I'm sure she's gone now. But yeah. she but she was willing to like, look at the flip side, change the narrative right. around what it was and just say like, this is a beautiful thing that means you're healthy and your body's functioning, doing what it's supposed to. And I, it totally, like, I still see it as a really good thing. So definitely. Yeah,
1: and, and I'm like, and I think it's amazing. And like to give you the, you know, The other side of that perspective, so like say sex ed, for example, well, my dad, who was an educator, was my grade seven sex ed teacher. So not only did I have to learn (laughs) about it from my dad, I had to learn about it from my dad in front of my peers, which just made it incredibly like, like, I'll never forget the worst part of the experience was, was absolutely when for whatever goddamn reason in the curriculum, they talked about like, you know, men being stimulated versus women being stimulated. And he used the metaphor of men being like a microwave, things cook really fast and <laughs> women are more like pro- pot or crock pots, you know, it's more of a slow cook. And I was oh like, my oh, my oh, oh my God, can we, yeah, I was just like, this is,
0: that's this is unreasonable
1: it's really (laughs) difficult for me to not reapply this into our home environment uh i think i need to talk to somebody
0: (laughs) you're like so when mom makes chili in the crock pot and dad (laughs) uses the frying pan
1: yeah is that how long sex takes uh oh my gosh that's so funny I know so it's just like so again it's why it's like yeah do I think these conversations are important absolutely because again this is how we get to practice having having hard conversations with our kids because you know we didn't talk about it when we got home because the only person less comfortable talked about that stuff than me at that stage was my dad and uh but but again because we didn't you know what that did is that created an environment where it's like yeah okay well we all know these things exist but we're not going to talk about Right. and you know and are there environments kids will survive and 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 probably be okay with i'm um, taking that approach likely but we are going to enter into much more complicated things like human yeah. life is is extraordinary but it can be really hard at times and so if that is you know in a lot of spaces where it's just like well i guess we just don't talk about hard stuff right yeah. that's that is the behavior that gets modeled in in, in those experiences and it's not that we can't talk about, like, when I was 14, I had a cousin that died. And and it wasn't that we weren't shown or able to have emotion about it. But again, looking back at it, like, did we really talk about that emotion? Did we really honor the system of grief being, you know, like you talked about, like, historically, where it was just like, you know, and, and depending on cultures, depending on religions, you know, depending on so many things. It was like, you know, you are to go into mourning for X amount of days. You are to, you know, right. you know, symbols of mourning, wear black and, and you know and we'll meet in the streets and, and we're going to light these candles. We're going to do all these things. And, 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 you know, there's really so much of that is almost non-existent now yeah. in North America, like North America. I wouldn't even, I would have a hard time saying that there is a grief culture. I think the grief culture that exists in North America um, is, is that it's this, we need to move on mentality.
0: Yeah.
1: And I, uh, one of my favorite Ted talks that I've watched was this lady, her name's Nora McNerney and uh she has a podcast called terrible thanks for asking but what she talks about is she says you know we don't ever move on from our grief we learn to move forward with it, yeah right
0: you learn to live you know with that it.
1: are yeah and you know i saw this this uh this image the other day of it's we our grief doesn't shrink and it's too bad <laughs> you know like i know i'm just sitting here watching my hand gestures <laughs> realizing this is going to be a podcast nobody can see what i do mean. but you know use your imagination and and watch you know like um people would think what happens that over time, you know, our grief starts to shrink, right? You know, that it becomes less, which makes it easier to, you know, to move on or to move forward. Um, But what happens is, is I, you know, it's completely my belief that like our grief never diminishes. I think we grow around our grief. Like we, right. So it's just like, again, because like you know, I don't want to do this in a way that, that um, unnecessarily, uh, you know, sparks emotion or things like that. But I know that if we were to lean into the stories of your friends that you've lost, you know, over the years, and mm-hmm. we were like, I, I know it at some point in time, like that emotion will resurface in a really wonderful way. Mm-hmm. Um, because that grief is still very much there. But, but because you were able to like to grow through that experience, possibly find meaning in that experience, you know, like, Uh, you know, and and recognize that it's not an end game that these people still very much are a part of my life, right? You know, that I I do continue to feel their presence. Uh, You know, that's the concept of me believing that it's just like, we grow as humans around our grief, you know, and we expand versus our grief
0: shrinking. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I think, even like a certain, you'll, you'll smell something or you'll hear something or, you know, something will happen and and it just takes you almost back to those moments, right? Like when that person died or.
1: Love it. And like, I'm so in love with those experiences. And and last summer, I'll give you a wonderful example of this. Last summer we were on a, we, uh, like we're, we're like, we're nature people. We love to camp, like, you know, and, and we especially love like being in mountain settings. Um, last summer, we were in Revelstoke and uh, like we were from Revelstoke going to Soyuz and uh, I got up before everybody else. And, and I was just like, you know what, I'm going to run and If you love the truck, I'm going to grab coffee for Bailey and I get the kids some breakfast. So that when I come back, we can just pack up the trailer and, and hit the road. Anyways, I'm driving through Revy and like, just look out my window and like this, the way, like, it was just like picturesque, like, oh, yeah, like it was beautiful. just like loving it. Right. And like, out of nowhere, and I mean like nowhere, I started thinking about my grandma Alan, like, and and this is the grandma that like, I'd spent an incredible amount of time with growing up. And I was just, and like, she died in 2009. So this is like, this is 11 years later. And like, and I start thinking about her and I start thinking about this trip that we're on and like this time that we're having and like how like, how she would have just loved to know that we were having this experience I would have loved to like told her about it and like and I started like fucking ugly crying like and like I was like so overcome with emotion because like I genuinely like felt like felt her presence like it was like it was and like i'm driving down the highway like trying to get from one end of revue to the other like and i'm sure the guy <laughs> yeah the guy beside me is probably like that guy's wife and kids must have just left like this guy's in bad shape you know like like i'm weeping behind the wheel of my truck you know trying to get to mcdonald's for some breakfast and uh, and like you know people like you tell those stories and they're just like oh it's you know how sad or how that's like It's It's not, it is so so incredibly joyful to me to have those experiences still. And the reason is that like, it had been so long since I would truly like, like I feel her presence, like in my entire being in those moments. So I think grief connects us. I think grief becomes the space, you know, that we can continue to pursue relationship with these people that we love so much. Right. You know, like, and, and maybe at some point in time that, that stops or that becomes less and that will actually create a different type of grief for me because it'll be i'll miss having had those experiences yeah right yeah. you know like I, I don't want those to go away i mean i don't want to live out of that place i don't want to cry no. every time i go to mcdonald's but <laughs> you know i uh <laughs> you know but but i yeah i definitely like i want to be able to like walk into walk into somebody's house and and yeah. smell a familiar smell and and it spark a memory of somebody that that I love or, or somebody that, you know, was important to me or, or is important to me, right? You know, so, yeah, I just think, I think grief has the ability um, to be present, you know? And I yeah. think our loved ones have the ability to continue to have presence and and these friends and these people that even though that is a lifetime ago, you know, um,
0: yeah.
1: when we have the opportunity to say their name, when we have the
0: opportunity yeah. to,
1: to talk about them, you know, like I just think it changes the whole experience if we create space for them to to still exist
0: I feel like so often in that moment you're like oh I should pull myself together like or people you might not think that but people would think that and that's where I'm like no like just be in that moment ball your eyes out sob that gut-wrenching sob right Mm -hmm. because to have loved and lost is like Mm -hmm. you're so lucky that you loved you know like that that you had that grandma
1: yeah you know the the thing I absolutely know about grief is we experience loss to the level in which we experience relationship. Meaning
0: yeah. the
1: reason I miss my grandma so much is because she took the time to be a grandma. She took the time to be a mom. She took the time to be these things to the people that were important to her. And so that makes her very missable. And yeah. and exactly complimenting what you're saying is just like what I've learned in in my career as a funeral director is not everybody does that. Yeah. Not everybody intentionally invests into relationship, into meaningful relationship. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. I. I mean, if if you are, if, and I don't want to you know blanket this because there's there's a, obviously a lot of, of um, there are a lot of things that would impact um, grief, but typically we we don't experience high levels of grief, high levels of loss for people that that weren't invested in us right
0: yeah or weren't totally. invested
1: in the relationship and like and that doesn't matter who it is it could be a parent if yeah. you had a, an absent parent and you know you're probably more likely to grieve the fact that they didn't have a relationship with you yeah then you are to grieve them being gone right totally like you're 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 gonna grieve the thing that that was never a part of that relationship
0: yeah, yeah. Even, even there's so much shame around that. I know um, a girl at work, her husband, his mom died and then Mm -hmm. his dog died and his dog dying was far worse than his mom dying. And he felt so bad that he's like, literally this little dog that I've had for 13 years, it rocked me to my core. It was easier when my mom died. And he's like, and I feel so bad about it. Right. But it's it's like you said, it's based on how, how did you say that? The, the amount of. yeah
1: so like the intentional effort right or like yeah. sort of like meaning so like we again we experience loss to the level in which we experience relationship right, or, you right. Know, and and that relationship is based off of you know for me again like not for everybody but for me it's just like who are the people that are intentionally engaging in meaningful relationship you know that i feel genuine that they want to be a part of my life right
0: totally you know and
1: and without knowing the history of you know this 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 guy's relationship with his mom versus his dog you know but but the reality is is like you know if if you have a parent or if you have somebody that was never a safe place for you that that you know that that didn't invest into that relationship you know it it just makes sense to me you know i'm I'm sure I could dig deeper into that, like how much that dog ties into the relationship with the mom somewhere. But but at the surface of it, yeah, I I agree because it's just like, you know, I'm sure that dog was always really wonderful to him and excited to see him. And and, like, and so yeah, that that's a very missable quality when you had a person, a human being in your life that was not seemingly as interested in you as this dog was.
0: Well, and I think normalizing the fact that like, sometimes people die and they're relieved. Like if you have right. a, an abusive spouse that dies, or if you right. have, you know, someone who's super manip- 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 whoa, yeah. manipulates you your whole life, right? right? right. Like there's going to be relief yeah. and then we need to take the shame out of that. So you're right. allowed so, to feel that. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Glad you said that because like, here's one of the, one of my, you know, another favorite part of grief of mine is I think what people don't recognize is grief is one of the few places that two emotions can not just exist in the same conversation. They can be a part of the same moment. Right. So you talk about like, say the abusive relationship or manipulative relationship, where just like, you know, and I think what's hard for other people to see is, is there, I think people don't recognize the contrasting emotion, meaning I can be completely relieved that that person is, is gone gone. and, and not necessarily died. Like, you know, Maybe you left, like it's a divorce, you know, or, or like you finally got out of that relationship, you know, and, and let's use that as an example, because it's, it's a wonderful alternative to just talking about when somebody dies, um, and and why grief is still so relevant. So the 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 contrasting emotion of that, where cognitively, I'm very aware that this was an unhealthy relationship, that this is something right. that controlled me, that they were manipulative that, that whether it was physically or mentally, there was abusive qualities to the relationship, you know, that... That it's easy for me to cognitively recognize um, that I needed to get out of this, right? Right. And so when I do get out of it, there is relief, but it's also accompanied in the exact same moment by complete devastation and sadness, right? And like that, that both of those emotions to me can live in the exact same space, that neither one you know needs you know needs to be explained because it's it's obvious why you needed to get out it's why why there would be a relief attached like and if if they did die you know if it was like right. the end of a really long right you know that's just like just like that sense of, of knowing that that part of your life is over now but right. still sad you know sad because nobody enters into a relationship you know under the impression it's going to go so terribly Right. So, yeah, I just think it's it's important for us to learn to recognize. And, and another example of that is like, you know, it's I think of like my other grandmother when she passed away, like she had and dementia and Alzheimer's, you know, and, and I remember going to the hospital to, to when she died. And, and um, I happened to be the funeral director that, that helped take care of her. Um, and I remember walking into the room and, and again, this this complete sadness that my grandmother had died accompanied by incredible relief that, right. you know, that, sh- that, that part of her life was over because she was no longer my grandma. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, like when, when Alzheimer's and dementia, right. you know, took over, like, you know, we lost her well before she died. And so like, yeah, yeah. It's that sadness and, and relief or, or, you know, like there's just so many different types of emotions we could insert into the conversation, but I think really important to recognize that again, grief is a space that you know two contrasting emotions cannot just be a part of the same conversation i think they can be a part of the exact same moment
0: which is it's i even thought about that after i'm like yeah when you said that about like a disease or something that someone's had mm. right where you're like yeah they're like the person dying often wants to go right like mm-hmm. they're they're exhausted they're tired they're sad even there's there's relief for the people the caregivers there's relief for them but yeah that still exists in the same moment as the grief Have you ever had more fun listening to two people talk about hard things? Seriously, this is the way I want all of you guys to view these types of hard conversations with honesty and laughter and vulnerability. I feel like there's no better way... To face hard things. And so I feel like I said some things in this episode that I'm embarrassed that you know now, but Hey, that's real life. And I'm here to be an as honest and real as I can be to give you the freedom to do the same. So I hope you will tune in next week to listen to the remainder of this episode. And I've already asked Jeremy to come back and have a conversation with me about grief and kids and COVID and what that looks like and how we help our kids through this ridiculous time when we ourselves are struggling so much. Have an awesome day. Go choose to make the world a better place.